All right. Well, it is indeed good to be with you. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. And Lord willing, because we have two services, um, we will be finishing Luke chapter 6 today. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm enjoying this study in Luke, but I also like to see that we are indeed making progress. And I definitely appreciate um, being able to be with you uh, again and the flexibility and schedule. Um, as I'm usually here the second week, but I will be on vacation next week. And so I appreciate the ability to be with you today. Um, and uh, just continue to pray for me. I appreciate your prayers. One of the things that uh, I was mentioning before the service this morning um, was that I do have some aches and pains in my feet. Um, and those uh, are pretty common with the fact that I don't use my feet like most people do. Um, but I, I still need my feet. And so just pray that uh, God will bring healing and that um, I will be vigilant about continuing to care for them uh, so that they will stay healthy and a part of my body. That would be a very good thing. Um, all right, we're going to start with Luke chapter 6, verse 19. And... Uh, All right, sounds good. All right, so as you know, we've, we've been going through um, the book of Luke, and uh, in this section, uh, Jesus um, is continuing to heal. But as we kind of have touched on before in this series, um, Jesus healing often is the catalyst that he uses um, to, to illustrate his teaching. And so we're going to see that again today. And so that's kind of the heading of today's message actually is Jesus healing leads to teaching. And starting with Luke verses 6 to 19, 619, we're going to go to 23 for this first section. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets." So we see, first of all, the whole multitude 
sought to touch him, for there went out virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Now, there were, there were certain places where it clearly says that Jesus chose not to heal. But as far as I know, when Jesus was healing, there wasn't anybody that he turned away. It wasn't like you could be in his healing receiving line and he'd get to you and say, I'm turning you away. I don't think we ever see that in scripture. So Jesus is freely healing everyone. It says here in this passage that he healed them all. And then he uh, reiterates um, some of the teaching that was in the Sermon on the Mount with his disciples. I don't know if this is another perspective of the same Instance, It does not appear to be so um, because it's not nearly as long. But he's talking about some of the same things. And he says, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep, for you shall laugh. And I just want to talk about these things for a few minutes first. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, this can easily, as with so much of other, of other scriptures, can easily be taken out of context. Some people say, that means I should sell all that I have and live like a pauper because I don't want to succumb to my riches. And I know some people that have great store of assets, or I know of some people that have great store of assets, but they live like paupers. It's been said that Mother Teresa, who was well known for her acts of benevolence, died with three, two or three million dollars in the bank. Because she said that she did not want to give it away because she didn't want people around her to get greedy. But guess what? It sat in the bank and didn't do anyone any good. So, the, I don't think this passage is expressly or even specifically talking about money, although you can certainly make an application. What it is talking about is the way that we view ourselves, our, the view of who we are in our spirit before God. Remember that the Pharisees, they thought they were righteous. And that's why Jesus said, I've come not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Because God can only work in a heart that knows its need of Him. Let me say that again, because it's, it's good for us all to remember this. God can only work in a heart that knows its need of Him. If you don't know your need, you're not going to get help. That's why the first thing, whatever your problem or addiction or whatever you're facing, the first thing that you need to do is admit that you have a problem. If you're here today and you've never admitted that you are a sinner, 
and then you are lost and on your way to an eternity in hell. There's no way anything else that we talk about this morning or this afternoon is going to do you any good. Because the starting point is to be poor in spirit. And when you are, then God will impart to you the gifts of His kingdom. And sometimes there are material gifts that come with blessing from God. It says in the Proverbs, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. There are many rich people in this world today who are of all men most miserable. If you follow sports at all, even casually, you know that every year it seems like new plateaus are reached with the amount of money that these people are given to play games. And why is that? Um... I believe it was Nelson Rockefeller who somebody asked him, how much is enough money? And his classic response was, a little bit more. He was one of the richest men of his day, and yet his response was, a little bit more. And then Jesus goes on and says, Blessed are you that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. And I think about that, and, I, and I'm reminded of how Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It seems like in the last five years, God is really done some pretty puzzling things in the lives of people that I love. I had several people do some puzzling things or pass away from unexpected circumstance. And it's reminded me that there are no guarantees in life and that every day needs to be lived out fully for Him. Because we, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The only guarantee that you or I have is that today, at this moment, we are sitting in Holland Gospel Chapel in Holland, Michigan, under the sound of the Word of God. That's the only guarantee we have right now. And how grateful I am for the Word of God and its truth. Because when the wheels fall off, so to speak, and the world looks upside down and there's no answer, I, I just thought of this. No answer from God is better than any answer that the world could give. Sometimes it seems like God isn't giving us any answers for the tragedy that is going on in our lives, for the lives of those around us. And I think of Job 
I don't think God ever let him read the first two chapters of Job. And yet God worked out His will. So I want to encourage you that if you are going through great trial, God knows. He is with you. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be able to say with Job, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now there are scars, there are hard times. There's a a family grieving right now because of the tragic death of their son and brother. And those of us who know him are still grieving of how something like this could happen and I'm not going to go into detail for the sake of the family. But I just ask you to pray for them. Not only are they grieving his death, but they are subject to a lot of ridicule in in the public right now. And we just don't understand how things like this could happen, but God is faithful and He knows the end from the beginning and He is working even now. We go on with Jesus saying, Blessed are you that weep, for you will laugh. And we think about that verse in Revelation where it says, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad. For songs, like what will it be to dwell above? And it talks about when no tears will dim the eye. So glad for that. And then Jesus says, talks about going on through these verses, Blessed are you when men shall hate you. When they will separate, when when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and weep for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did they, the fathers, unto the prophets. And I look at that from a human perspective and I... And I say... How? How should I rejoice about this? This is the worst thing that could possibly happen from a human perspective. You're you're telling me that if people separate me from their company, I should rejoice. But yes, we, we should. And it's hard sometimes. Because sometimes merely existing, if you're abiding in the vine, 
God will pour forth from you and you will be a stench to those who do not understand the gospel. Why? Because the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But it's the power of God to everyone who believes. This is where we live. And he's saying they did the same thing to the prophets. When uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king and said, We will not bow before your statue nor worship the golden image that you set up. They didn't say, Okay, go ahead, go about your day. They threw them into the fiery furnace. When Daniel... was over all of the kingdom, basically, except for the king. They said, how do we trick Daniel? And they couldn't find a way because he was so blameless. And then they said, well, the one thing we know about Daniel is that he'll never quit praying. So if we outlaw prayer, we can get him. And lo and behold, they didn't say, okay, Daniel, go about your day, keep praying. They rushed to the king, said, Daniel's praying, and they threw him into the lions. And in both those cases, God preserved them. But we know that many of the prophets, and looking into the future from this text, at least 10 of the 12 apostles were not just persecuted for their faith, they were killed for it. It's said of the apostle Peter that he was crucified after watching his wife die. And it's said that he was so unworthy, he felt so unworthy to die in the same manner of his master that he was crucified upside down. Because he said, I'm not worthy to die the way my master did. Could somebody look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, just to continue on. Just to give us a little bit more context of this point. First Peter four, thirteen and fourteen. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Okay, and this is just underscoring what we've already talked about, that we can rejoice when we are evil spoken of. Because just as as we partake in Christ's sufferings, we'll also partake in His glory. The Bible says that we are kings and priests unto our God, and that we will rule and reign with Him. And I am looking forward to that. 
And you know, this world is becoming more and more anti-God. And even our nation, which was founded as one nation under God, is quickly forgetting the God who preserved them a nation. And I love my country, but I love my God even more. And I know that I need to be prepared to stand against my country and for my God. And I just pray that God will continue to give me the grace to do that. I want to read this story of a man who visited the Roman Colosseum. He says, In ancient Rome, crowds by tens of thousands would gather in the Colosseum to watch as Christians were torn apart by wild animals. Paul Rader, commenting on his visit to the famous landmark, said, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where he sits for whom they gladly died and asked myself, would I, could I die for him tonight to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? Radar continued, I prayed most fervently in that Roman arena for the spirit of a martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit in my heart as he worked on Paul's heart when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. Those early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possessions to hold them back. If you remember Paul, he could have gone free if he hadn't appealed to Rome. But God called him to Rome, and so he went there, even though he knew that would be the end. How humbling that is. And so we, we, we reviewed here blessings from God for his children, being the first point. And the next point, the second point, is Jesus calls for a change of heart. Continuing on in Luke chapter 6, verses 24 to 35, we read, But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask him not again. And as ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those who love them. And if you do, and if you do good to them, what do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? 
for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be called the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty convicting chunk of scripture to me. Again, we're not simply talking about coming up with a barometer and saying, this is a rich person, this is me, so as long as I stay under that, I'm not rich and I don't have to worry about what this is talking about. Rather, it's talking about someone who comes to the point where they have everything they need so they no longer need God. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says it this way. Don't give me... And I'm paraphrasing here. I probably should have looked this up and put it in my notes. But essentially it says, Don't give me so little that I curse you. And don't give me so much that I forget you. And really that should be the prayer of our hearts. That God would guide us in the way that we go. Abram, who later became Abraham, was characterized as a very rich man. God never condemns that. As a matter of fact, God gave Abram that riches. And Abram even says, I'm not going to take money from you. Talking to one of the kings that he encountered on his journey. Because I do not want to want them to, people to say that kings made Abram rich. See, he knew where his blessings came from. He knew that they came from the Lord. And then here's a tricky thing. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. I know this is for me and it may be to you as well. It's great when people speak well of me. That's one of my human goals is to have people speak well of me. And surely to an extent we all would desire that. We're told to live in such a way that when people make false accusations against us, that people wouldn't believe them because our reputation is so solid that they would realize that it was slander and not right. But there's also something wrong when we strive so far for man's approval that we will water down and compromise the gospel in order to do it. When I'm called a hater, when I'm discussing issues such as the holocaust of abortion or the denigration of marriage, I have a choice at that point. Either to back down, to go sulk in a corner, to say, well, I don't want to offend you. Or to stand on the holy, unchanging Word of God and say, God said it, and I believe it. And that settles it for me. May we all have the heart of Martin Luther who said, Here I stand. I can do no other. 
And we see that all through history. The martyrs who have said that. Think about William Tyndale who prayed as he was burning at the stake, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. I don't even know if I could think straight while being burned at the stake, let alone pray to God. But it wasn't too long after that that the King James Version was authorized. And I know there's, there's varying ideas of what kind of person King James was. But the point is that many people were brought to Christ because of William Tyndale's example. People thought that by killing these martyrs, they would quash the gospel, but they did not. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And of course we talk about giving here, and we often give with an end result in mind that would be good for us. God tells us to give and not expect anything in return. That's why he says give to them that ask you. He doesn't say lend to them that ask you. Because if you lend every time you see the person that you lend to, you're going to think about them in the context of what they owe you. Instead we are to give. Why? Because our Savior gave. He doesn't walk around and whisper in our ears and say, think about what I did for you. You owe me so much. No, He freely gives. And it is clear that we owe Him. And it is clear that He has uh, ways that He wants us to live. But the idea is, I gave to you freely. It's a gift. It's done. Whatever you do from here on out, do out of gratitude. Because the reality is, nothing we do could ever be enough. Anyway. And I think I've told you from this pulpit before. I've found in my own personal life one of the best ways to begin to love an enemy that is frustrating you is to give them something freely when they have no merit for it. And I'm still learning this. I have a long way to go. I'm not sitting up here saying I have it figured out. Just ask the people that live with me. They'll tell you. But the reality is that I know that God is faithful. And that He doesn't give up on me. And He's not going to give up on you either. I have this little story. I thought it was humorous, so I thought I would share it. Says a mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Put whatever, put whichever one you want in the collecting plate, and keep the other for yourself. She told the girl. When they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. 
Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. And isn't that often the way we give? We say, how can we fit this into our budget so that it's not going to hurt? Instead of seeing a need and doing what we can to fill the need. Now obviously, we can't um, fill every need and we shouldn't fill other people's needs at the expense of our own family. Jesus had very harsh words to say to the Pharisees about that. He said, he said you say that you're, you're giving your money to God and saying it's a gift, but you're neglecting your parents. And he said, that's not right. So just as with everything else, we need to have balance. And then, continuing on, we need to be Jesus to others. Finishing up in Luke 6, 36-39, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive not, and ye shall not be forgiven. And you shall be forgiven. Or forgiven, you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, Can the blind lead the mind? Shall they not also fall into the ditch? And, uh, we talk about the mercy of God and how Jesus in His forethought and in His plans with the Father before the foundation of the world agreed that at the fullness of time He would come into the world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again the third day to give us full and complete liberty from our sins. Jesus says, I love you, I've forgiven your sins. I will remember them no more. And we tend to say to others, I try to love you. I try to forgive you, but I'm going to remember your sin and hold it over your head for the rest of your life. I mean, that's just, that's, that tends to be the way we think instead of realizing that just as we were vile, just as we were apart from God and He forgave us, so we must forgive those around us who have wronged us. You must ask God for the power to forget. Because it's not a human tendency. Do you ever do you realize that the greatest promise keeper in all of the world, God Himself, who makes promise after promise and fulfills promise after promise to us because He never forgets, chooses in His divine providence to forget every sin that we ever committed if we trust Him and ask for His forgiveness. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. I'll never comprehend it. But I will always be thankful for it.
And this judge not, that ye be not judged. I think we need to spend just a couple of minutes on it as we close. Because it's the most quoted verse in the Bible, and yet it's one of the most under, misunderstood verses in the Bible. Not particularly in this passage, but particularly, especially in the Matthew 7 passage where it says it, it talks about judging not that ye be not judged, and then it goes on to talk about how you need to get your life right, because you're going to be judged by the same standard that you judge. And yes, we shouldn't be personally judgmental. And I believe that a lot of times what we think is righteous is really being judgmental. But at the same time, if the Bible says it, I must preach it. If the Bible says it, I must believe it. If the Bible says it, I must stand on it. And I must not back down. And if I am charged before God to preach the truth of the Scripture, then I have to preach, preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Not just the fuzzy stuff, but the bad stuff as well. We read in Romans, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We often stop with 3.23, but... That's not, it's an incomplete thought. Because in 3.24 it says, Being justified freely by His grace, we have redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should always teach Romans 3.24 with Romans 3.23. Because when we realize that we are all sinners before God, that is when we have hope. That is when we have hope. And I will close with this story, and I will then I will pray, and I will also pray for lunch this afternoon. But here is the story. A story of forgiveness. Years after the death of President Calvin Coolidge, this story came to light. In the early days of his presidency, Coolidge awoke one morning in his hotel room to find a cat burglar going through his pockets. Coolidge spoke up asking the burglar not to take his watch chain because it contained an engraved charm he wanted to keep. Coolidge then engaged the thief in quiet conversation and discovered he was a college student who had no money to pay his hotel bill or buy a ticket back to campus. Coolidge counted $32 out of his wallet, which he also persuaded the Dejo man to give back declared it to be alone and advised the young man to leave the way he had come so as to avoid the secret service. Yes, the loan was paid back. Do we realize how much we've been forgiven at the cross? And are we prepared to offer the same forgiveness to others? Have we experienced that forgiveness? It's quite possible 
that you have been going to church your whole life and haven't experienced that forgiveness. But nothing compares to it. God's forgiveness is always there, always ready, always waiting. And there's nothing like the clean, fresh feeling that you have when you confess your sins before God and you know that He has taken them. My prayer for you is that today would be the day of salvation if it has not already come. And that if you are a believer, if you do love the Lord, that you will live like you do. You know, if we learn true forgiveness and we really forgive people, they will notice the difference. Because it's not a human tendency. The human tendency is, I'm number one, you messed up my life, and I'll never forgive you for it. But I've heard it said this way, choosing not to forgive someone is like drinking poison and hoping that they die. Even if they will not ask for forgiveness, you have to attempt to gain forgiveness by at least mentally giving it so that you don't hold on to it, so that this burden isn't weighting you down. And I'd encourage you to do so. Maybe there's someone in your life that's no longer in your life, either because they died or they're far away and you don't have an opportunity to reconcile with them. Maybe even you can still get a measure of peace by writing a letter just between yourself and God and getting that out on paper so that you don't have to deal with it by yourself anymore. I'd encourage you to experience forgiveness and then impart it to others. Because the things that we experience are not to keep to ourselves. Christianity, contrary to popular belief, is not meant to be a private religion. Our faith is meant to be shouted from the housetops. Remember what Peter and John said when people said, do not teach anymore in Jesus' name. They said, whether it is right before God or man, judge yourself. But we cannot help but to speak of the things that we have seen and heard and experienced. And, and when they got back to the other disciples, they didn't cower in a corner somewhere. They didn't say, Lord, take away this persecution. They rejoiced. And they said, give me more boldness. May we have the same thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness of us. We pray that it would spill over into forgiveness of others. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity once again to bring your word. And I pray that you would impart its truth to my life and to the lives of those around us. I pray that you would give us sweet fellowship around the table at lunch today and bring us back refreshed for the Second service, Lord, I commit all these saints into your hand 
knowing that you know what's best for each of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. I'm Dan.